Well, as they're continuing to receive the offering, I'm going to ask you a question. What does tough love mean to you? What is tough love? Now, first service has a little bit of excuse for not interacting because it's early, you know. But I voluntold somebody in first service finally, so you might as well get it over with. Cause, and I won't pick on Belinda twice, maybe. Yeah. What does tough love mean to you? Encouraging kids to do things they don't want to do. <laughs> Anyone else? Hey, yes. Yes, praying through tough love, tough times, yes. Well, let me, let me give you some examples of what um, might be familiar to some for tough love. Like um, that parent, that Christian parent that makes their child give up their favorite sport because it becomes an idol, knowing that that's taking the place of their relationship with God. Those, that can be tough love, not something a parent would want to do, right? That's really what tough love is, is uh, doing the hard things because you love them enough to do the hard things. What about uh, that parent, which I, uh, I came very near to this in my own time, but parent that uh, has a, uh, threatened to evict their own child out of their house because that child is displaying behavior that is um, counteractive to them leading the household to the Lord. Or the family who has an intervention for that loved one that has drug addiction or alcohol addiction where it kind of comes to the place they finally have to say, hey, look, we're willing to separate ourselves from you maybe indefinitely, because we love you enough, we can't stand by and watch you destroy yourself and others. Or that mentor, that pastor, that grandparent that has to tell you that you're failing in some area of, of what God has created you to be and, and wants to see you get back on track to, to what God's created you to be. Um, I've told a story before, those of you that haven't heard about, when I was in Bible college and I had a professor that was really a statesman of the college, uh, Dr. Harris, he had been in ministry for, for ages and he was in his 80s and and uh, very disciplined. Uh, in fact, he still rode his bicycle to, to the college every day, and he tucked his uh, suit pants in his black socks to keep it out of the bicycle chain, and he was a very slender man uh, in his 80s, but energetic, very disciplined. And um, before I met my wife, some young lady decided to have interest in, and, and she had invited me to her church where I didn't know Dr. Harris also went. I should have anticipated he did because it's Central Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri, where a lot of the professors went. I didn't know that this girl liked to be disruptive and talk during the service the whole time or whisper. And I didn't know I was sitting three rows in front of Dr. Harris. And I also had him for a preaching class where you practice preaching and then evaluated. And so uh, during that service, she was making me nervous because she kept wanting to talk and I'm trying to just keep my head forward. And I've been raised, you don't do that, you know, and get to class and I'm preaching. That happened to be that week I was preaching and then class gets done. Dr. Harris says, "Uh, Brother Brummett, would you please stay after class? And so as everybody started to leave slowly, it seemed like forever, they're packing their stuff up. I'm sitting there thinking, what, what is he going to say? I mean, what did I preach? You know, maybe I did bad in preaching or what? And, it, and finally, everybody went out. And he was still standing at the podium. I'm sitting in my desk. He said, Brother Brummett, I was sorely dis- disappointed in you Sunday as I saw you with a young lady friend being very disruptive in the service, disrespectful to the Word of God and, and communicating back and forth and you know what's interesting is when the right person brings discipline that you have respect for, you're not full of excuses. You know, sometimes we disrespect our, our parents as kids and we want to make excuses for everything to do, and it's really a sign of disrespect. But when you, get, when you get disciplined by someone who you know loves you and has the best heart for you and you're not confused on that subject at the time, and our parents do love us and all, but we get confused about that, then you just don't have excuses. All I could do is sit there and absorb every word he said, and the tears started coming. 
it broke my heart to have that correction by Dr. Harris, who I respected greatly. He had been in my parents' home when my mom was pregnant with me. Uh, he knew my family history and the ministers and the, and the heritage I had. And, and, and he, he got done and he left that room and just let me have my time. And I bawled as a, as a grown man in college. I sat there and bawled. But you know, I never was upset with Dr. Harris. I never thought him to be wrong or, or harsh or anything that I knew that I deserved that. And I knew that even though she was the one I wanted to blame, she's the one who kept talking. I was trying to ignore. But I had a responsibility to the Lord between me and him and Dr. Harrison understood that independent of what she did. You know, we're in a culture now where it's very easy for us to, to pass the blame that, that someone else did. It, you know, it was uh, the way I was raised or this or that. But there comes a time of accountability when we, when we have to, to come to terms with the fact that we are responsible to the Lord just us, not, not because of what church we went to or our experiences, but between us and the Lord. And sometimes the Lord has to bring that tough love of correction to us to get our attention. And, and so what I want to say today, I want to open with a statement that may seem strange. It may challenge your, your theology and how God loves us. It may just offend you, but I want you to get the context and think about it before you dismiss it. And this is the statement I want to make. Sometimes the Lord has to hurt us to heal us. Sometimes the Lord has to hurt us to heal us. And I don't mean that he intentionally sets out to harm us, that that's what his purpose is, is to bring harm. But, but in love, he will convict us and challenge us, point out our sin, give us a reality check on what we are really good at and what we're not good at. He challenges our self-proclaimed identity. And let me tell you something, the culture we live in, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're 10, 15, or 95, or 100 years old, because of this cell phone crazed social media world, our emotions and how we see ourselves and our identity is easily getting skewed. The, you know, they say there's actually a, a thing that's like a drug, it's a... It's a a hormone that gets released when you get text messages or you get likes on Facebook, a dopamine. They said it's just as addictive as any other drug. It's just that we're not taking it. It's being released in us. That's why they said when text messaging first came out, you'd have people that were new to it that would text like 10, 15 people at once to say hi just so they could get a bunch of responses back. It's why people will post something on Facebook and they sit and they wait until they see if they get any likes. If they don't get likes, they delete it. Like, like oh, maybe I shouldn't have put that on there. You know, if it's popular, then it's great. And it made me look better. But, but this, this used to be seen as something as the new generation coming up. But you can go in a restaurant and you can see people in their golden years glued to their phones sitting across to each other. You can see whole families, you know, on the social media, on Facebook. Everywhere you go, it's, it's this, 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 right? Now, I'm not trying to just vilify that. What I'm saying is there is a breakdown in, in our need to be uh, appreciated and loved, and we want to feel good and the, this dopamine release, but at the same time, there are things in our lives we need. We need the correction and the, and the tough love but when we're heading that direction, but, but we're in a world now where Scripture's being skewed, like, don't judge me, which really means just don't make me feel bad. Who are you to make me feel bad? We use Scripture as a weapon. But see, God's character nature, He's like that good, He's that good daddy. That perfect daddy who, who says, you know what, I love you enough sometimes to correct you. And, and you don't have to worry about what other people think. Worry about what I think. I don't watch many reality TV shows. We haven't had cable or satellites for 10 years since the boys were two. 
and um, we use Netflix, so I wait for things to come on where I can kind of filter, you know, and I don't have to watch the commercials. And, but I, I really used to like watching American Idol. I guess it's making a return trip around, if I understand right. Uh, the X Factor, The Voice. And these are these ones where people come up and display their awesome talent that's been hidden, right? They, they've been discovered, and it's emotional, and they've got everybody either crying or cheering, you know. Um, but not all the people on that show are talented. I'm equally as entertained by the ones who are terrible. <laughs> I'm equally entertained by the reaction of the judges and everybody else um, that the people get up and they can't sing, but they think they get up and they set it all up. You know, oh, I'm just so accomplished. All my friends tell me how good I can sing and this and that. And you're just waiting, thinking they must be awesome. Actually, after you watch it some seasons, you know, that means they're probably going to be terrible. You know, it's the humble ones they put the limelight on. They're good. And so they do this and then they sing. You're like, oh, my word. Your friends aren't your friends, though. They're your enemies. They're frenemies. <laughs> Why would they not love you enough to tell you you can't sing? You just got in front of 100 million people and embarrassed yourself, and no one loved you enough to tell you not to do this? <laughs> do you have a mom and dad that loves you enough to say, hey, you know, son or daughter, uh, you're talented in a lot of ways. This is not one of them. <laughs> and we will disown you if you get on national TV and do this. <laughs> that, that's what I'm wondering, is who are the people connected to these people? Pastor Jim that started this church, he, he claims he could not sing a tune in a bucket and then became a very accomplished musician and singer and, I mean, was excellent. But he said he just had to, he wanted it so bad he kept practicing and d developed a voice. I, and I didn't know until I would met Pastor Jim that, that that was possible. I just thought, I can't sing, I'll never sing. But, but it depends on how bad you want it, I guess. But I wonder, you know, did not, somebody not love you enough to tell you the truth? I don't follow a lot of famous people or anything like that, but we used to, look, when certain movies we watched, we used to like Denzel Washington a lot, and there's a couple others, and I saw a thing on Denzel that said, he said, um, we need to be willing to tell the truth even if it doesn't sell. He, he made several statements along that line. One of them was, we need to be able, we need to be willing to tell the truth even if it doesn't sell. Not worried about selling statements or, or whatever will we'll get the attention, but tell the truth. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 18, I want us to look at this text on this very topic, although there, there are not many sermons out there that draw this particular truth out of it, that focus on this particular truth. We're talking about this tough love about when God has to sometimes hurt us to heal us. This is, uh, goes on, and when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was hurt. You're questioning me over and over. I get it, Jesus. You're basically saying, no, I don't love you. Well, no, I don't know that that's, we're going to get into this. I don't know that that's exactly what hurt him. It says, because Jesus asked him the third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I want you to key in on that phrase in verse 15 that Peter was hurt. Because sometimes the Lord has to hurt us in order to heal us. 
or, or to really focus in on what this healing is, let's use, the, use it interchangeably today with restore because healing is really the restoration of something broken to full working order. And listen, it is just wild, the thoughts that come in my mind getting ready for Sunday, but I don't look out here and see congregants and pastor. I mean, I understand my responsibility. I understand what God's asked me to do. I understand my role with you and how I need to serve you. But I, when I come in this place, like I've had talks with my children, it's like, don't disrupt word in worship. Not because I'm worried about other people seeing you be disruptive. That's maybe how I would have parented in the beginning. But now I'm so hungry for the Lord. It's, it's not me being your dad right now. It's me being a fellow believer in Christ and you're disrupting what I truly need. I came hungry today and I want more of Jesus. And so you cannot interfere with that because if you're interfering with me, it might be somebody else. And I love the people here. I see us as brothers and sisters of Christ coming together to, to be built up, be admonished, let the Holy Spirit do something wonderful in us, not for, to get put on TV as look at this great revival happened in New Song, but because we have brokenness in our hearts. We have hurt. Not one person in here is sitting here without brokenness or hurt in their life. There, there's been a failed relationship somewhere in our lives, whether it's a parent or, or a sibling or a grandparent, someone or some stranger, but we've all received hurt from someone. And when that's not truly dealt with, even to the point of t a, a, a tough love action, then we can never progress in the Lord. We can never progress in our relationship with Him. You can walk into any worship service where the Holy Spirit is just hammering people and they're being filled with the Spirit and all that and feel nothing if you hold on to past hurts. And what we'll see is Jesus is not coming at Peter to try to rub his nose in the three denials before. He's coming at Peter to say, Peter, there's an elephant in the room between me and you, and we're going to settle this now so that, we, so that you can get on with being who I've called you to be. We're, we're going to get this straight. And you know what? I, I feel Peter's situation because I stand before you as one, and Ken and anybody that's walked life with me, and, and even when you weren't around me, knew the stories of things happening with me. And I'm telling you, God had to bring some tough love many times in my life to get me to this point. And so because of that, I've become a lover of his discipline. I, I cherish and love. Are you crazy, Pastor CJ? You like it when he pulls a rug out from under you? And Yes, because I know what it is when, when I ignore that or when I'm able to escape past that or the, the devil messes me up and I... And I, I uh, avert and I get away from that discipline the Lord brings, then next thing you know I end up dried up living away from him not experiencing the wonderful communion I have with him like this morning get up and there's just a song already, I haven't even hit the internet radio yet, it's just God's giving me a song it's like last week when I had, that, I had, I woke, uh, I had a dream and there was Thousands upon thousands of people on the new future campus all standing like, like there was no room to move all around the building. I don't know why nobody's in the building. They're all around the building. But they were singing a song I hadn't heard forever. That he's the God of the city. He's the king of these people. And that song came to me. I first heard that song when Pastor Jim passed away and I was hurting so badly, so broken. I couldn't even go to work and keep from bawling at my desk. I had to walk out. It just—it was so hard time for me. But, but God brought that back and he gave me hope. He said, that song's going to mean something else to you very soon. Peter had been a coward. He had sinned greatly and had turned his back on Jesus. And I think there was the moment that 
Peter didn't realize it, but this moment was a moment of restoration coming for Peter. In a very delicate, very godly, a man man way, Jesus dealt with Peter's denial. He dealt with his sin. He dealt with his pride. In this particular moment, he's bringing tough love. You know, you just think about it. I mean, the, the magnitude of denying Jesus during his crucifixion, he, he's appear, you know, appeared again. They know that everything he says is true. And he's alive. And Peter's dealing with the fact that, you know, I'm not getting out of this because he's alive. He knows what I did. And he carries that. Always feeling lesser of the disciple, right? This is Peter. I'm willing to whack a guy's ear off for Jesus. I'll put up my dukes. I'll carry a sword. I'll do all the tough man stuff for you. But you're asking me to do things that spiritually I feel weak. I can't do. I can't get over my past failures. Men, we're much like that. We can watch all the superhero movies. We can watch all the war movies. We can get built up tough. Uh, If somebody tried breaking my house, you know, as Christians will post on Facebook, put the gun there and say, this is my welcome mat, you know, or whatever. You know, we we get this uh, macho thing. But then the Lord asks us to die to ourselves and to serve other people uh, and, and appear weak. And all of a sudden we can't do it. And Peter's not so much giving up, but saying, look, I've already proven that I can't. You keep asking me. I know what you're asking me. But here's the thing we need to understand. He's not using the word love, the English word love. There's some word play there in the Greek. There's a word agape love, which some of you may know. It's unconditional. It's the greatest of loves. And, and what Jesus keeps asking, he's using agape saying, Peter, do you agape me? means unconditionally. Peter's thinking, Jesus, you already know that when there's conditions, when my life would have been on the line, I'd been put to death like you, you know I failed. Jesus asked again, Peter, and Peter's saying back, he's saying, I flail you, which is kind of like, I love you. Yeah, I love you, but it's a conditional love. And each time Jesus is asking, it's, it's got to be like a knife, stabbing, hurting. And it says Peter was hurt. I love you, God, but I love you, Jesus, but why do you keep pushing me to love you beyond what I'm capable of loving? Why in the worship service do I keep hearing you through the pastor or through the worship leader that I, I need to give up my, my uh, preconceived ideas and maybe I need to raise my hands or I need to come to the altar, I need to step out? Why? It's because when Jesus challenges us to love him unconditionally, often our response is, oh, you know I love you within the bounds of which I can love you. And this is the moment Jesus is trying to free Peter of that and say, I'm not expecting you to love me on your own power because you can't love me that way on your own power. I'm asking you to submit completely to me that agape love and let me fill your heart with it so that you can love with that kind of love. And yes, I I know, I believe there is a significance between Peter denying Jesus three times and Jesus asking three times. And so this is exactly why that particular words were used. Jesus wanted him to get over his failure, not to be reminded of it for the simple fact of remembering what he did, but for him to confront it and finally move past it and be empowered by it. And some of you heard the story so many times. You know, I didn't leave Bible school. I left Bible school at one point, had to go back and finish, but I didn't leave on good terms the first time. I I was asked to leave. I had let pride. When people ask everything's okay, I'm sure I'm okay. And all the time, sin was starting to, to creep in. And, and I, I had to leave in a bad way. And you know what? God protected my heart. I never got mad at the school for asking me to leave. I knew they needed to. And I, I didn't, I did like Jonah. I didn't come home and get restored and then go back to finish. I, no, I got the right idea. I'm going to go to the Navy because then I can just get away from everything. 
That's how I ended up in the Navy. And then, just like Jonah, God would not leave me alone. I remember crying at night. God, I'm here now, six-year contract. I'm here now, six-year contract. If you want me home, you'll have to do something, but I can't do it. And you know what? What God was asking me during the time is, do you agape me? Will you unconditionally love me? Will you quit trying to, to put stipulations on everything you did? And then he answered, and they were sending me home, and I actually tried to fight it at first. I didn't see that he was making a way. And I wouldn't be standing before you today. I'd still be running after something else if I hadn't finally had to deal with my past and say, okay, let's get the elephant out of the room, God. I don't want to be defined by my past anymore. I don't, I don't want to try to measure up to my dad anymore because I can't. My dad's larger in life. The, the heritage I have and ministers before me, I'm not that polished. I'm not that good. I'm not going to be them. It's like Moses the burning bush. Don't you understand? I stutter. I can't talk right. You're wanting me to speak for you? And we do this thing, right? You know, how would you like to be compared to Moses? That'd feel pretty good, right? After knowing his story. But here's the thing. Your story's been written every day and we'll do the same thing Moses does and any other believer is when God confronts us and says, will you love me unconditionally? We start in with the love that has conditions. But God, I've got all this other stuff, you know, and it's important and my kids and my wife and... And he put the whole of Scripture together. And then he challenges another part of Scripture says, if you don't hate your mother, you don't hate your brother. He's not promoting hate there either. Just like here, he's not trying to just dig up Peter's past to hurt him. Every time we encounter God, he's going to challenge us to get over our past and become what he's created us to be. But to be, be what we're supposed to be, sometimes there's hard discipline, tough love. And so Jesus is bringing this tough love. We've all known people who've had a broken bone and they didn't know it was broken. Case in point, me. Five months on a broken, pretty bad broken foot. I didn't know at the beginning of the project. But, but uh, finally I went and they said, okay, well, you went so long, it may take a pin and some surgery now. And, and, and some, sometimes people will go to the doctor finally and the doctor will have to re-break that bone and set it right to heal. The doctor re-breaking the, re the bone seems cruel. It seems like unusual punishment, right? But it's to heal you. I remember when they were discovering I had a muscle disease and they took these long skinny needles like acupuncture and they kept sticking them in my, my arms and my muscles and telling me to flex and do this stuff. And I was like, this is not worth it. I'd rather just deal with my issues. than. But it's all part of the process of healing. And the diagnosis, as painful as it may be sometimes, is part of the healing. And Jesus is diagnosing Peter's problem. Peter, you're always going to be hiding out. You're always going to be the guy that denied me three times if we don't sell this here and now. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is speaking about the brokenness and he says in verse 42, Jesus said to them, You've, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in your eyes. Now, before I read verse 33, I, um, when I read verse 43, it, re, it, it reminded me that, that Jesus says that he is the stumbling block. He is the rock of offense to his own people. You know, we, we, we get real prideful sometimes to be like, oh yeah, of course unbelievers mock us and we're taking it for Jesus' name. But, but the truth is, we as believers many times are the ones that get offended by Jesus the most. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes in a time of the service and you're like, uh, God, if people see me going to the altar, they'll make all kinds of assumptions like I've been into pornography, I've been into this or that. You know, I, I can't respond to what you're telling me to do because of what others will think. And so, literally, Jesus becomes a stumbling block for us, but it's 
to help us. Because he has to first expose the things that would make us stumble. The only way he can expose pride is to bring some embarrassment. The only way he can expose um, uh, envy, materialism, is, is to put you in a situation where people see you just for who you are. The Jewish people of his day were looking for the Messiah to be a political ruler. We know this. They wanted someone who would overthrow the Roman government physically, right then set up a kingdom physically, be the physical king on earth. And everyone got on board in the beginning, seeing his popularity growing, seeing the miracles, this has got to be it. But when he makes the statement that I am the stone that the builders rejected, he is a stumbling block, he is a rock of offense to his own people, he was referring to the fact that when he doesn't meet our expectations, he becomes our stumbling block. Peter wanted to be that guy that would physically defend him, and then when he was expected to stand with him, even in what seemed to be Jesus' defeat, Peter crumbled. Then for those of us who have made him our anchor our, our, over our past, our present, and our future, and we're built upon him. We've, we've made him the chief cornerstone of our life, the main rock of our lives. That's why we sing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And it has to be the foundation because when he becomes that, that stumbling block, there's only two ways to go about it. You're going to get broken. It, it says that, that, that him as that rock could crush you, but, but it's not meant to destroy you unless you choose to be destroyed. Many people will come into a situation of body of believers where maybe correction has to come to them. Maybe the way they've been uh, acting is, is uh, counterproductive to the body or hurtful to the body or to someone, and the pastor or someone has to bring correction to them. And they have a choice in that moment to let Jesus, the uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit, be not just a stumbling block, but be the road to restoration, or they can leave broken and stay broken. And Peter had that choice right now. Do I stay broken, or do I let this stumbling block be my road to restoration? Verse 43, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruits. He's talking to those who see him as a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And then, then in verse 44, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And in our vocabulary, we think of broken or crushed both as bad things. But in Jesus' words, it seems that broken is a way much better than being crushed. It seems in this passage, the one being broken has chosen of, of free will to be broken, to, to fall on the rock and be broken to pieces. You know, we, we've met with people many times where as they begin to share on their heart the things that have been past disappointments or where they feel like they failed God and tears begin to flow and they get, they get choked up and, and, and immediately, some, almost always, they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Begin to apologize for our brokenness. And I always stop them and say, don't apologize for that. That's victory on the way. You stop allowing yourself to be broken and that's where the danger is. And I'm also rejoicing when they get me broken. You know, I'm grown man, it's okay. I think, you know, what Melinda told us when we came to this church, that this church is a manly man church. I said, what are you saying that for? He's like, I, you know, beards and, you know, motorcycles and all this stuff. I said, well, we're not trying to project anything like that. But I love Jesus enough that I don't care if somebody thinks I'm weak because I get broken. Because 
that time I was in Bible school, the problem was I was trying to seem like everything was okay on the outside. And I get, I get kind of poked fun at that I wear my feelings on a sleeve. I kind of put too much out there about myself. But it was from a lesson of learning that when I try to put on an image of something on the outside that wasn't really what's on the inside, that's, that's a pretty comfortable safety net. You get so comfortable in that and everybody has this image you got to keep projecting it. You got to keep the post looking like everything's going good. And everybody think the marriage is good. Everything's going good. On the inside, you're dying and crumbling. You're getting broken, but you're not giving Jesus the opportunity to put the pieces back together the way they were supposed to be before they are put together wrong. Those who don't choose to fall on the rock and choose to do it their own way, on their own will, at the end they're, at the end they're singing, I did it my way. Those people are going to be crushed. To those who believe he is a cornerstone, to those who don't believe he is a stumbling block, because broken to pieces seems to be chosen to be broken, not forced. Matthew sixteen thirteen through nineteen says Peter confesses Jesus at Jesus as the Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is what Peter learned that day. That not all pain is bad. That not all discipline is bad. That truly, when you begin to get closer to Christ, you begin to love Him with agape love, you begin to cling to the discipline. You begin to want it. Do you know I would not take, I would, I would, let me carefully say this, the sin that brought me down at Bible school, I would not want to repeat. Hear me clear on that. But the lessons gained from that and what God did with it in my life, I would never trade for anything in the world. Some of the hardest times when Pastor Jim passed away and I was his armor bearer. I didn't even know what that was when he started calling me that. But um, I literally had a spiritual breaking that I had never experienced before. I couldn't even hardly go to work. I remember calling my dad from a parking lot just sobbing on the phone. And, and, and Pastor Jim might not have been a family member, but I never hurt that bad from the loss of anybody. Because God had put him in my care and I lost him. And I felt responsible. And so I may identify with Peter in a small way that, you know, Pastor Jim wasn't Jesus, but he was the man of God that... I felt responsible for. And when he was gone, I felt lost. I felt like I messed up. I should have been in there at the Mayo Clinic. I shouldn't have waited, worried about work. I should have left. I should have done this. When we went up there in the middle of the night to try to find him, the weirdest thing, I'd never thought of doing this in my life, but I was ready to find him in the morgue, lay across his body and command him to come back to life. My faith had never been stronger than in that time. I remember Ken and Shelly being in the middle of the night while we were racing up to see him and Shelly feeling the Lord saying, you know, it's not too late. They'd already told us he'd passed. And it already confirmed what was in my spirit because I was determined I'm going to find his body. I'm going to lay across a command to come back to life because I believe that still can happen. It wasn't the Lord's will. And they lock morgues really good at night, by the way. (laughs) 
So that weirded some people out, but I'm just going to tell you, I did try, but uh, they make sure. I don't know why there's a problem with people going in and laying across bodies or doing stuff like that. I don't know. It's like, why do you lock this place? Who's, who's, who's going to go hang out in there? I mean, really. Anyway. I, maybe I should call the Mayo Clinic and ask them. All these years have been bothering me. Ten years I've been wondering, why do you lock them? Anyway. But, but here's the thing. Listen, I look at all your faces. Some of you know well. Some of you don't know as well. All I know is this. In the way that I have experienced Jesus, in the way that I have personally experienced, and even this morning in worship, because it's an ongoing thing, not a thing of the past. All I know is this. I can't know everything that's happened to you in your life. I can't know how well put together you are really on the inside and how well you're not. But I do know this. We all have a amount of brokenness. And this I do know too. When you can lose yourself in him, when you can get to the point and say, yes, Jesus, I agape you. I won't hold anything back. I know in my own strength I can't say that with confidence. I'm just releasing myself to you. Everything, everything and nothing less. I give you everything and nothing less I give you. And the reason I feel like the roof's going to come off when I sing those words is because I mean them with all my heart. Even knowing how I failed, even though that I probably still will fail, but I am not my own. I am his. And only my confidence in him am I allowed to say that and not feel like I'm lying. And Peter didn't want to lie to his Lord that day. And Jesus says, we're going to get this done. Do you know how Peter's story ended? Now, I'm not some great scholar, but from what I understand, he was finally arrested. He was given a chance. Other church people, believers, told him to run for his life. And him and his wife stayed put. The Holy Spirit told him to stay put. And he stayed. And he got arrested, basically preaching the gospel, but they treated it like treason. And they crucified his wife in front of him, brought him out. He watched his wife be crucified. And they sent him back to his cell for him to contemplate his end and, and to remember what happened to his wife, give him time to let that soak in. And they brought him out to the same place to crucify him. And as they began to crucify him, he yelled out and, and proclaimed, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Put me upside down. Put me upside down. I can't do it the same way he did. I'm not worthy. God allowed him in the end to worship with agape love. Say, I will love you so unconditionally. I'll not worry about my own torture. I'll make it worse. That's okay, because I want to glorify you even in my end. And, and folks, we're in a culture with the cell phones and all this, of a lot of self-gratification. But he's calling a church who will cling to the discipline of the Lord, the tough love, and learn what it is to agape love. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, it's your word. The only weakness in this is any deliverance of mine, Lord. And I just pray that everything I've said, Lord, you use, even in my weakness, that, God, I want you to continue today. It was wonderful to look across all these people to see them worshiping you. And, God, it's not my rating system or that that's not enough for me, but, God, I know that you are a God who continues to challenge us through even tough love and say there is more like with Peter that past of yours keeps hindering you and you keep identifying as that person even though you know you've 
given your heart to me and, I, and you've been baptized and you signified publicly that you laid the old person down, but you allow the enemy keep handing you a shovel to dig them up, to look at them again and, and to reflect back on who and identify yourself as that person. And God's saying, why? why? When you hunger and you watch these videos with all these people worshiping and, and, and you just get drawn into that and, and this play world of worshiping, why don't you do it for real? Why don't you let loose? Why don't you just for once not worry about what's going on around you and agape me everything and nothing unless you're singing it be it not a photo of it not a post of it not a not a a a reality show version of it but be it not under your power but release unto me yourself the lord would tell you to release yourself completely to him jesus we just Commit to you, Lord, our hearts. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning and you say, I need to either recommit my life to the Lord. I have, I have walked away. I have chosen to walk away from my relationship with Him. Or you say, today I want to make a first-time commitment to the Lord. I want Him to be Lord of my life. These things that you spoke from the Word have pierced my heart. The Holy Spirit is dealing with me, and I need to make a decision. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. right now the enemy would tell you because of pride or other things or worried about being embarrassed to keep that hand down but he's telling you right now he wants you he wants that agape love with you amen amen you can put your hands down Jesus we just come to you right now for this one raise your hand Lord that right now as their commitment to you Lord is being renewed and refreshed Lord that you speak to their heart God draw them close Lord and let the abundance of your spirit the the over uh, flowing spring of your spirit Lord begin to, to quench their thirst for you God we thank you for this commitment in Jesus name Amen Man, everybody can look up here. Um, I love you. Uh, remember, ladies, Tuesday night, 6.30. Here is a uh, ladies' Bible study and breakfast. I apologize. We had to p- cancel men's breakfast Bible study Saturday. Our speaker um, had a procedure Friday, and it was just going to be a little difficult to pull it off with him gone. So um, but I love you, and God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Oh, Wednesday night. Sorry, Ryan, where you are. Wednesday night, we are having service very short. 6.30 to 7, be worshiping the Word. The Baptist Church Cross Street puts on a big fireworks and festival deal, and usually our parking lot's filled with people. We're going to try to block off some spaces. If you come Wednesday, bring lawn chairs. Uh, we're going to grill up some hot dogs and hamburgers and have a short service and then watch fireworks together. Um, parking may be tight, so hopefully you can get here in time, but 6.30 to 7, and then we'll hang out in the parking lot and watch fireworks, and the building would be open to get out of the heat too. So. Love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.